Hi, everyone. This is Michelle, and this is our third episode of Four of a Kind podcast. This podcast is for all those out there just like us trying to figure out how to take on the next part of our careers, their careers, your careers. So join us and our exciting guests as we discuss navigating our jobs, entrepreneurship, and all the ups and downs along the way. Today, my three co-hosts and I will explore the topic of risk-taking. But before we get started, I'll let everyone say hi. Hey guys, it's Grace. Hi everyone, it's Lauren. And this is Kelsey. Thanks so much for hanging with us today. So jumping right in, as Michelle said, we're talking about risk-taking. Question would be why? Um, if you've heard any of our previous episodes, you know that we've mentioned this a couple times, and it's a topic we've really wanted to dig into. Um, we touched on it a bit, talking about mission statements and talking about just why we wanted to do the podcast in the first place. But I think today, again, we're really going to get into the nitty gritty here. So obviously, being an entrepreneur involves taking a lot of risk, and of course, we think of financial risk. But I think this conversation is definitely broader than entrepreneurship itself. This comes up in our careers when we're thinking about really how to take the next step. I think risk is definitely a big part of that. And we want to figure out how can we evaluate what risk, how can we think about risk, and how can we make sure we can get to that next step, that next job, that promotion, even just a project, and really figure out a way to keep our careers moving forward. So throughout the episode, we're going to highlight resources that we found helpful on this topic and we're gonna have a discussion about pros and cons there but I think some of those hopefully are helpful to you all what we want to talk about first is just to have a quick conversation about our comfort level with risk and this is be a hard question to answer but I'd love you all to weigh in Grace Michelle Lauren how do you think about risk and would you say you're comfortable with it Um, is it something you and you want to work on just love your initial thoughts I'd say I've reached a certain level of comfort with risk. I certainly am more comfortable with risk now than, you know, I was six, seven years ago. I think me leaving the comfort of my hometown where everyone kind of knows everyone, or maybe there's only three degrees of separation and moving to one of the biggest cities in the world, you'd have to be somewhat comfortable with risk, right? I remember everyone, or when I first told everyone I was moving, everyone was going, are you sure? It's so expensive to live there. Or why don't you move to Toronto first and see how you like living in a big city before making a huge jump to the Big Apple? Obviously, I didn't listen to anyone, right? Because I'm, (laughs) well, I'm here. I moved to New York anyway, and which I'm glad I did. I mean, I love Winnipeg. It will always be my home. That's where my family is and a lot of my friends. But moving to New York was sort of this huge pivotal step in my career in terms of creating new opportunities for myself, knowing that there will be, you know, all sorts of risks involved. So I think in terms of risk taking and my career, I've had the very opposite experience of grace. I couldn't have had a more risk averse career so far. I think there are a couple of things that have contributed to it. There have certainly been a lot of opportunities for me to take super risky transitions or make those transitions. And after calculating the benefits and some of the challenges that I would encounter, I've decided that those were not the right risk opportunities 
opportunities to take at that point in my career. So I've had a pretty linear career path so far, started in one function and kind of just moved my way up by an opportunity that always made itself available for me. But I certainly am looking to consider what those risky opportunities are along the way. I think that there have been a lot of people around me who've taken very risky transitions throughout their career. And I think the world of them, and I'll talk a little bit about it later today, but I personally have not taken very many or any at all, I think, risks in my career. Well, I'm sure on some level that saying you haven't taken risks, some of it is just recognizing what those things are. And, you know, you said, oh, well, I went through this very deliberate thought process. So maybe you took a jump at some point that you went through a thoughtful process. So at the in now in retrospect, you're like, oh, it wasn't a risk, but maybe it was the time. I think that's one of the things is just like recognizing when that decision's even in front of you in the first place. There's probably truth yeah. to that. I probably convinced myself into the forks in the road that I have taken. And because it feels like such a calculated risk, it didn't feel that risky by the time I took that turn in the road. That's yeah, that's quite possible. I think it's interesting that Gracie, you mentioned that you feel like you were super risk tolerant and Michelle was so risk averse just because I feel like so far my experiences, there are pieces where I feel like I took the risk immediately and parts where I took the the back seat and some have turned out good and some have turned out bad on both sides. For example, my first job was with a big company. And when I first told my parents that after a couple of years, I was shifting to go work for a small firm that not a whole lot of people had heard of after listening to their generation that stuck with the same kind of career for the long haul, they really didn't understand it. And I didn't really have a whole lot of other people at the time because I was only I don't know what 24 to kind of be a peer or to kind of bounce any ideas off of of what their thoughts were. There was a lot of people at a new company that I didn't know or didn't trust that worked like this, this will be good. But at the end, end of the day, I, I think that first shift was probably wise for me. And then there are other times where currently work for the government. So people would say that that's less risky and more of a secure fashion. We're kind of finding out maybe in current events that that's not <laughs> maybe possibly the case. But uh, I mean, it's true. So there are parts of my career on both ends. But I do think that I agree with Kelsey's point that at sometimes you look back and you're like, oh, Oh, that probably was a whole lot riskier than, you know, maybe what I'm used to or maybe what I would say. I, I wouldn't picture myself as someone that's super risky, but like I bought a 90 acre farm. So like, you know, who's to say there's a huge spectrum and I'm different for every every single person and every single person's experiences because something that we all see as risky or not risky is totally up to each of us. I think that's a good point. I think one of the things I wanted to talk about today is you're like, oh, I think I am okay with risk. I'm comfortable with it. Maybe I'm not comfortable with it. And part of it is defining risk. And I asked that original question, maybe it was leading you down the wrong path, but are you comfortable with risk? Um, so I think part of it is really trying to define what is risky. I was listening to a podcast, How I Built This, and they were interviewing the founder of Sam Adams, the beer company. And he he actually said something really <laughs> interesting to me. Um, I was listening to it and literally paused the podcast and was like, oh my God, this is really good advice. And so I went back and pulled out the quote. It's the difference in life between things that are scary and things that are dangerous. There are plenty of things that are scary, but aren't dangerous. 
And there are things that are dangerous, but not scary. Those are the things that get you. And he went on to give an example of the latter, which is something that is dangerous, but not scary with staying in a job where you're comfortable, but maybe not passionate about it or challenged. And he was like, yeah, that's not scary to stay in that job, but that can be really dangerous because you're kind of, you're not challenging yourself day to day. But I thought that was really interesting. And I think a lot of the time, at least, and I'm just talking about myself here now, and I'll let you all weigh in. But to me, I would have thought about it in the re- in the reverse. Like, I know what this is, therefore it's not risky. But his point was like, no, it's actually really dangerous when you get that level of comfort in a job. Well, I mean, this could apply to things outside of your career, obviously. He had some examples about things like people might not be scared of skydiving, but maybe that's dangerous or that might be a bad example. But anyway, this point really resonated with me. And so I was curious if that's something that resonated with you. If Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Going back to my earlier response to your question, I think that's probably why I'm open to risk because being very comfortable and not having, not seeing a ton of progress and maybe even just being stuck to the current level of my career, whatever that may be at a particular time, that to me seems like a scarier thought than actually going out there and diving into the unknown. And just to clarify, I know I may have sounded like I'm at the very end of the spectrum in terms of I'm just all for it. Let's take risks anytime. I think I'm somewhat comfortable. I wouldn't say I'm very, very, very comfortable. But you know, I've I've reached a certain degree of, of comfort with risk. Yeah, I think the quote resonates with me simply because I agree with you, Gracie. I think it's super scary to stay in a position that you're bored in. Like that scares the shit out of me. So I'd rather yeah. change it and move forward. But the problem is, and I think this is peace with risk taking is if you don't instantly see an outcome or you get a bad outcome from one of those actions and you're like, oh, this I've made a mistake. That's when you get a little bit hesitant to continue. And that's kind of the balance that you always have to play, right? It sounds like what you guys are trying to define is that the risk outweighs the reward in some circumstances. And that's probably those circumstances where it may or may not be scary, but it definitely is a dangerous situation. One of the reasons why I initially had said I think I'm risk averse is because I was offered many dangerous opportunities and didn't take them. But now that you brought up this particular quote that helps reframe the question, I think I agree with this quote. There are definitely lots of dangerous situations that could impact our career that we probably avoid a whole lot because at least the four of us, consider both the risks and the rewards in those particular circumstances. So in my case, I had the opportunity to build from ground up the business that I'm in, but at a competitor. And it was a great career opportunity from the standpoint that I could make a name for myself. I could try all these different business strategies that I would have done. And this was like five or six years ago. So I was at a very different point in my career, but I decided not to take that opportunity because it was dangerous. I would not have the infrastructure and support and the resources required to build a successful business. So again, the reward was not as great as the risk I would have taken in my own personal career. So maybe that was more of a dangerous situation than a scary situation. And I'm skipping around here a little bit, but this other resource, when you when you look up decision-making, I think risk-taking and decision-making flow together. And there's this process called a four-quadrant 
approach, and I'm sure there's someone that came up with this, and I should know their name so that they can get credit. But basically, the point is, not only should you outline, okay, what happens if I do this? What happens if I don't do this? And we're pretty good at thinking about things in that context. I think the other questions that this process makes you ask, and then what won't happen if I do this? And what won't happen if I don't do it? So those two are questions that I probably don't ask myself frequently. And I think we're really concerned about what will happen when we're thinking about this kind of thing. And I just thought, again, that was a really interesting way to frame it. And having spent a lot of time thinking about changing careers myself, I think a lot of it comes down to maybe what won't happen if I don't do this. And that for me has gotten me a lot more comfortable. Whereas like I might've started this process thinking it was a huge risk to leave a job I've been in for eight years um, where I, I kind of know what tomorrow is going to look like. I mean, little things change day to day, but generally speaking, I know how to go in and do my job. And in terms of switching careers or taking on a totally different role, for me, it was a lot about what won't I get if I don't do this? I mean, I think when we're actually thinking of financial risks or financial decisions in a like more academic sense, we always think about things in opportunity cost, right? right but yeah. we don't do that when it's like super per- personal. We like forget that that's something we should take into consideration. That's a good point. You might think about that in the pure mathematical sense, but well, I mean, it's the reason why when people go to make decisions, they set up their pro and con list, right? It's so that they can literally see it in front of them, but they don't do the opportunity cost side of, okay, what's the pro and con of not doing it and thinking about it like the problem just a little bit differently. It, it is a yeah. good thought. It's the Eisenhower box, by the way. I Googled. <laughs> oh, the Eisenhower box. Okay. I think that framework is certainly helpful. I, I use a slightly different, maybe it is the same, but definitely a lot more simplified whenever I have to make a huge yes or no type of question. I basically ask myself one question. What would happen if I don't do this? Whatever this new thing is that came across with, whether it's a new role or the decision to go to business school. So if I can confidently tell myself what will happen if I don't do it, I'd probably go for it because in my mind, if I'm able to predict what's going to happen, that probably means I'm playing it too safe. And as a result, I'm potentially missing out on a great opportunity. So I'm sure I think about all sorts of other things, but that's the one key question I ask myself. Well, look, sometimes I know a lot of the decisions that I've made. At some point, you just throw out all logic and it is sort of more emotion and gut intuition driven. And so that also is a relative thing. Like how much do you trust your gut about what decision you're making? So for example, my thought process of going into business school and the timing around it, I mean, I was trying to get it sponsored so I I could actually get my work to pay for it. And the timing of all of that happening, I could have started a year later, which now knowing all of that, I wouldn't know any of you. So that would have not been fun, but terrible decisions. Right. (laughs) But I mean, it meant the financial risk was higher and the financial risk came to fruition. Like I had to pay for part of it just because the timing didn't align perfectly. And now looking back on it, time kind of fixes everything. But at the end of the day, I was like... I need to do this and I need to do this now. And I felt like that was the decision I had to make, even if, you know, pros and cons, and it was just all a timing thing. And looking back on it, you can always say you could have made a different decision. But at the end of the day, there are good and bad things that came out of, but I think the good outweighed the bad. Good friends, starting podcast. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and, I, this, and obviously this discussion is is not meant to look back and be like, oh, I should have done this, this, or this. I think you're at some point too is also like, okay, make a decision and be comfortable with it and move on. And another thing that I was talking to this guy who's the CEO of one of the businesses in my company, and he was talking about a new team he was building out. We were discussing like career and roles, and he asked me, well, okay, so the big thing about this role is are you comfortable with ambiguity? I was like, um, I should probably have a better answer to that question. My instinct was, yeah, I'm comfortable with that. I like solving problems. But on the other hand, I like solving problems so that there's less ambiguity. But I thought a lot about what he said, because maybe some of it is not so much, are you comfortable with ambiguity, things being all over the place? But are you comfortable with there's a point where you have to just make a decision and go with it? I think for me, another thing, I tend to be more risk averse. So the thought of making a decision without 100% perfect information, which will never happen, that's also part of this whole thing and I Lauren this is exactly to the point you just made about deciding between this this and this and I just decided to go with it and I did it and it worked out and all that but I think it was like getting to that point to just be like okay I'm not gonna have the answer on this thing I wanted but I gotta decide and I'm gonna jump into it and be committed and I think that's another piece of this puzzle which by the way I mean gut feeling isn't completely non-scientific I don't want to get too technical here and I'm also not going to pretend I'm a neuroscientist but I've heard about studies trying to explain how gut feeling is actually a result of our brain constantly comparing incoming information with what whatever's stored in our brain already so things we already knew or experiences we've had of course that also just means that any existing biases we have may impact that gut feeling and may lead us to the wrong decision I'm definitely not suggesting that you rely on it completely, but I agree with Lauren, you know, you don't have to completely ignore it. And sometimes it's all you have to go with it, especially if you don't have a lot of information to base your decision on or don't have a ton of time to get through all sorts of analysis that you want to make. Yeah, I think that's a great point in my business where we calculate risk or I calculate (laughs) risk for a living. And um, that whole idea of, having relying on your gut there's i guess i haven't read that scientific study but from seeing it day in day out what i have experienced is that the more experience a person has the more they rely on that gut feeling because that's a technical term and that's because after repeat transactions you see if you plug in variable a and b you'll have the result c quite often and then after time you get comfortable with jumping to that c conclusion In terms of managing ambiguity, going back to what Kelsey had said originally about that, it is really scary if you're jumping from A to Z right away. But if you, after time, after years of experience of trying, plugging in variable A and B, and then adding another variable to that, and then years later adding a couple more variables, that amount of ambiguity you end up learning to manage becomes not as scary anymore because you're used to getting a particular result and you know that from a scientific purpose, if you run the same test over and over and over again with similar variables, you'll most likely resolve and conclude to the same outcome for the majority of the time. And so that managing ambiguity, it's not so much that any of us are uncomfortable with ambiguity, I think. It's more so that we just need more experience with a larger number of variables that gets us to a comfort level of what the outcome may or may not be. 
Just going back to that opportunity cost thought, your gut a lot of the time can tell you maybe not that you need to go for something or you need to make a decision or it can tell you when you're uncomfortable in your current situation and you have to do something about it. You know, like a lot of the times that's when thinking of the uh, podcast, there's a podcast that the same podcast that Kelsey was referencing earlier when they're talking to the founder of Spanx. And the lady was just so fed up with all of the ad hoc jobs that she had. She was just like, I could do this better. That's when she made the jump. And it was just like, I her gut was telling her she can't say, stay in that same rut forever. So it's not necessarily telling you exactly what to do, but it's telling you what not to do. Yeah, Michelle, your comment made me think of maybe it's not so much, are you comfortable without knowing the answer for sure, but you can build a process and part of what your job is, which I'm projecting what I think your job is onto you so you can correct me, but it's you, 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 your company, this industry has come up with a process for analyzing a situation and you get an outcome. What you focus on is the process of what are the inputs? What are the variables? How do I need to think about this problem as opposed to, okay, every time what's the answer? Now that I think through this with you all, I really wish I could go back and have this conversation with the guy again, and maybe I will send him this episode to let him know that I have thought through this. But even just talking it out and writing this episode and doing some of this research, I've, I feel all of a sudden more confident in taking risks. So I've done a lot of reading. I apologize for potential overload here. Uh, another approach that, or I read this name is Ted Ferris. He wrote a book called Tools of Titans. He was talking about an experience that he thought was entirely too risky to take on. I think he was going to go on a sabbatical or his instinct was, no way, my company will fall apart. The world will end. He realized that he needed to find a way to think through a decision like this. And what he started with was listing the possible outcomes and then start with the worst possible outcome. And what is the likelihood that this is going to happen? In his case, he was talking about the worst possible outcome was losing his business and he was start there. And then is there a cost associated with this? Write out the costs and then decide if those costs are temporary or permanent, because a lot of times there are temporary costs that in our brains we label as permanent. The next thing would be measure the cost of inactions. And then as you go through this worst case scenario, you one, get a sense of how how bad and how permanent is the worst case. You then think through ways which you can mitigate the worst case scenario. And it turns out a lot of the time you can mitigate a lot of these things that you think are going to happen or you think are really bad. So maybe you start with the worst case scenario that's like my company is going to dissolve. And then you can take a step back and be like, well, actually, there are enough things I can do to mitigate it. That's probably not likely, but maybe there's a temporary three-month thing where I need to get a second job to cover costs, but I can do that because I have flexibility and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, this was a really interesting way to think about a question where you're not really sure what the answer is or you're not sure to do. If, if that worst case scenario seems temporary, unlikely, and there are ways to mitigate it, all of a sudden doing something is way easier to make that decision. Yeah, the temporary or permanent thing resonates with me because it kind of brings me back to my previous point of timing. And it's all, as time progresses, a lot of these problems or decisions that seemed like the biggest deal at the time, they're they're not really once you look back on them. Especially when you're coming to financial risk and you're thinking about a financial decision. My grandfather always said, do not worry about money. He was like, you can always make more. When I was thinking about my decision about how much money to spend the 
investment to make in my MBA, I think it's worth the the time and investment. And so then you can always make more money if you're going to spend it in this capacity. So it's not the your lifetime. Same with your career. Everybody constantly told me because you're used to going to high school for four years, very finite, going to college for four years, very finite, and then you start your career and you want to instantly run the world. And I had a lot of people, my parents, my in-laws tell me it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. So you have to slow your roll and understand every decision that you're making will in the run, they're all little decisions. They're not the big decisions. You have to constantly put that in perspective when you have a very small frame of reference. That's why older people are so wise. They just have a larger <laughs> perspective of everything and all the decisions that they've made. <laughs> I, I think that's much wiser. Lauren. Um, as I was thinking about this process that Kelsey was explaining, I was like, how would I get through this process though? Because my experience is so limited. And I thought about all the conversations that I've benefited from in this very short career that I've had so far, but there have been so many influential and wise people throughout my career who've given me that advice, solicited and unsolicited, to help me make a more calculated decision at all those crossroads. And it sounds like you too have benefited from relationships that uh, and guidance from people who have experienced so many different things in life and journeys in life, and they have various perspectives. I, I do think that's very important. And maybe this is getting a little bit into a different topic of mentorship, but I definitely think that, you know, the four of us have each other to bounce things off of. And we've had a variety of experiences and we've had conversations with people with even more diverse experiences. But in in our lives, it sounds like we all have had the opportunity to have those conversations and ask questions about, you know, here's the problem. What are the potential outcomes if I take this path A or path B to help us unpack whatever the situation is at the time. Can you imagine, Lauren, if you had actually deferred going to business school? <laughs> you would not have met the three of us. Your return on investment just yeah. automatically goes down because of that. I would still be doing homework, which just makes me tired. <laughs> <laughs> it's very clear what the worst outcome was in that situation, not meeting us, and there was no way to mitigate it, so you made the right decision. <laughs> I, I brought up a bunch of things that I had read, but do you all have any anything else that's worked for you and whether it's a big decision or any tips that you'd want to share? So maybe just real quick, another question that I typically ask myself is, okay, in 10 years, would you look back to this day and regret not having gone for it? And if the answer is yes, then you probably should go for it. If the answer is no, then maybe it's just not that important for you. I do think another piece that it does drive how much risk you feel like you're taking is how much you want something. I mean, I think that's also another way to judge how how badly you want to go for a career move or something totally different is how much does it weigh on your mind? How much do like how much do you actually desire it? And so I think that can again tell your gut what you want in life and what you'll be happy with or or what you would settle for. I think just something super tactical. I am a very decisive person. So when I make a decision, I do just 
go with it. And then, and I, I think one of the ways that makes me comfortable with that is fitness, working out and like I, I run. So I like get a mental clarity and, and sleeping and sleeping on a lot of decisions, so <laughs> like super tactical stuff. That's also just good for you and your mental health anyways, to make sure that like you're thinking about things and not letting stress or emotion cloud your judgment, but you can always, you can sleep on it. Make sure you, the decision that you're making now is still the one you want tomorrow. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, One thing that I think about, so I'm in my head, I I still think that I'm terribly risk averse when it comes to my career. But as I think back on some of the more risky and take that with a grain of salt, the riskier decisions I made, I've always had someone who like pushed me into that situation. Characteristically, based on some of the articles and books I've read, that's a more, uh, that's a trait that more women have than men. And I've thought about all these conversations that I've had with other women that I have mentored and just thought, I compare that to um, my personal career. And I don't know if everyone needs this, but I certainly will keep this in mind for the future of always having someone who, who is more um, risk taking than I am to push me in that particular direction to challenge um, my comfort level. And it sounds like some I don't think all you guys need that, but I certainly will appreciate that in the future if you guys see me at a crossroads and really challenge me on that. Do scare. it, do <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I think mentorship is something we want to talk about more also. But one of the things that I feel like we talk about business school a lot, but one of the things that I really appreciated about that, which was that everyone walked in there, maybe not the first day, but definitely by the end of two years of business school, everyone was sort of refreshed and renewed about their outlook on trying something new. You know, by the end, like everyone was going to go start a business and everyone was going to go like try this cool new thing and get this new job. And there's this renewed sense of excitement about trying something new instead of fear over trying something new. And that's definitely something I took it wasn't like a class we had. It was just sort of the overall sentiment. Yeah, and I think to go back to Michelle's point, a lot of that happened because um, we had conversations and we had same thoughts about that. We were like, oh, yeah, we have this hesitation or this, here's what I'm thinking or and I'm not positive which way to go from here. And so a lot of the time, like the outside is the one that's saying, no, 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 you should definitely go for that. That And just getting that confidence and someone that's, you know, in that kind of same sphere and thinks a lot of the same thoughts that you do telling you to, you know, you should be comfortable with this um, was super helpful. And I think that's what kind of got us to the end goal. Yeah. Well, okay. So I think we we covered a fair amount. Um, we talked about getting more comfortable with risk and ambiguity and, and how to make those decisions and process that information and decide what actually is risky and what's not. For me, I think the thing that sticks out are is one, the consequences of inaction and I think to the temporary versus permanent, the timing thing that Lauren, I believe you brought that up. I don't know if anyone else has a takeaway that they want to share or that they think would be helpful for listeners. I mean, if a lot of listeners want want to share their thoughts, I think all of these topics that we talked about today, risk-taking, decision-making, judgment, ambiguity, confidence, none of them are measurable. None of them are constant or something that's you can easily, you know, think about objectively. So sharing your thoughts, sharing, you know, how you think about this, how, how you approach different experiences throughout your career or your life just having someone to bounce those off of is probably the key thing. Hopefully those are things that all of you can try as well. Let us know what you think or 
If you have any questions or comments, please email us at fourofakindpodcast at gmail.com. That's four spelled out F-O-U-R. You can also tag us or slide into our DMs on Instagram <laughs> with the handle at fourofakindpodcast. Again, spelled out. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you next time and get ready for some really great and exciting interviews coming up soon. Bye. Shit, is someone recording? I'm not recording. Yeah, I'm recording. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 40 minutes later. I even asked for your permission, babe. <laughs>